32 counties united by people my name is una and my name is andrea and this is United, United Ireland. Ireland. <laughs> Speed talk. Every week on United Ireland, we go under the hood of issues in Ireland beyond the headlines, bringing you smart people who know what they're talking about. This week, we are talking about the potential for a licensing law revolution to make Ireland's nighttime vibe buzzing. Hard to believe that that could be possible right now, but I am optimistic. Yes, uh, me too. Uh, I'm also optimistic about your ongoing and future support via Patreon, patreon.com forward slash United Ireland. This podcast only exists because you, many of you, uh, give us a little three euro or more a month to help us roll, keep rolling. Um, So please, if you haven't done that ever or yet and are in a festive, generous mood, go over to patreon.com forward slash United Ireland three euro more a month, it would be so helpful. And we will then be helpful to you by providing you with the Sunday Soothe. The Sunday Soothe is your moment. (laughs) (laughs) It is very relaxing, a bonus piece of content. Uh, So if you want that and if you want little rewards and often we like have like free tickets and things like that to gigs and when they exist. Um, so, uh, yeah, patreon.com forward slash United Ireland, sign up. But now uh, it's a state of the nation. Andrea, fill me in. Party time in the UK. What's the, I feel like there's a song that was part time. Obviously, my voice is so good at for, at singing. Um, full blown uh, chaos has erupted for the Tory party in the UK as a party. Imagine a party a year ago having the fear about that. <gasps> um, <laughs> so we saw um, the resignation of Allegra, who uh, jokingly was see and it's actually I feel kind of sorry for because I worked in PR and you do have to go through the negative things that could be asked of you and see what you would say yeah um, I guess though when they're trying to lie and say that the party didn't happen and didn't exist and but yes are still resigning over joking about it even though no one was there <laughs> they came out and said an hour ago the Tory party had a party by a mayor someone who's running to be a mayor organized it yeah I mean I saw your one Allegra Boris's advisors tearful apology uh, and I laughed. I mean, maybe that makes me evil, but I just thought it was ridiculous. Like, just, do you know what? Just like. I'll live to regret these words. Do one. Ever. No, you Jog no. on. Only Anyone. <laughs> exactly. Jog on. Uh, what um, else is happening? Um, This was interesting. One of the suspects in the Khashoggi murder was arrested in France. Um, and that was, um, it's a, it's a, rather than me explaining it, it's a film. It's called The Dissident. It's really good. And um, however, the person was released again today. It was a case of mistaken identity, but it does uh, bring that awful story back to the fore again. And what happened in Saudi when Khashoggi went in to the consulate to get his wedding papers and he was um, murdered and dismembered. And it, there was a, um, it was captured the sound of it so they could prove it um, but and there's questions about who organ- 
ordered it um, and the prince has taken responsibility because it was on his watch um, in Saudi. He said he didn't order it. But obviously there's a lot of human rights questions in Saudi and yeah, Ireland is currently leading uh, a mission. Uh, Leo was there in November to get a bit of trade going on back over in Saudi. Questionable. Yeah, well, that's Fine Gael morals and the Irish states morals who uh, have maintained trade links to Saudi Arabia for a long time. But in um, good news, <laughs> moving on, uh, NIAC, NIAC, approves VAX for children aged 5 to 11, the most uh, um, under attack age cohort. 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 At the moment. So it would be good to add a little extra layer of protection in there because children are now being hospitalized, which hadn't been the case uh, before. But um, yeah, it's a very, um, I was about to say unfortunate. That's a little bit of an understatement. Um, it's a very scary time for parents, children, etc. So, yeah, and I guess like, I mean, the vast, 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 vast majority of uh, kids don't get sick but I guess when there's loads and loads of spread within that age group you know some people are going to get sick so they better just ventilate the schools properly eh and do contact tracing in the schools remember that okay <laughs> um, what? what's going on with the um, review of the repeal legislation uh, it was before a committee yesterday and uh, Stephen Donnie did come out and say that ease of access has not been achieved. But um, where a lot of campaigners were hoping that it would move uh, maybe the scope of what was in the legislation, the three-day waiting period, etc. Um, Stephen Donnie has said that it is not within the scope for any of that to be changed. It is just operational stuff, which uh, left a lot of people very disappointed. Hmm. Also, like, not true. Like, that's not a legislative review. Well, I was kind of like, and also there was a problem with um, appointing the uh, the leader. That's probably not the right word, because they said they have to go through a tender process. <clears throat> There's never been a tender process before. But, like, who decides the scope now? Somebody said it's probably in the legislation. I don't really understand scope. And no, the review, the the what's in the legislation is that there will be a review, kind of to look at the what what the how it's worded is the operation of the act. Now that doesn't mean that you're just looking at operations that emerge from the act. That just means you look at how the act is functioning. Working. So, like for example, the Gender Recognition Act. It's the same wording in that that there would be a review to. Uh, review the operation of the act and what happened there was um, an independent chair was uh, brought in to lead a review group uh, that was um, Meninia Griffith from Belong To and then they um, did different consultation talked to all the stakeholders various people blah 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 and they came up with recommendations around some amendments and uh, most of those amendments if not all of them were um, then then happened and there was one of them one of them that was, you know, just different aspects about self-declaration um, around younger people and various things like that. Um, and that was basically like, okay, so this act has been in place. We've reviewed it. Here's suggestions for amendments. And then the government can decide, the minister can decide and uh, to do that. So I don't understand why they're not doing similar thing here and focusing just on operations because that's not a legislative review. That's that's a review of the services that are that are happening. But 
anyway, we might get into it when it kicks off. And with regards to tendering for an independent expert, I mean, maybe they want to pay somebody more. And if that's the case, then you do have to go to a tender process uh, if it's over a particular threshold. Um, but they probably should have done this ages ago. Anyway, um, what else is up? Um, Galway have a new ring road approved by a board Pinola. Um, contrary to a lot of uh, campaigning, it doesn't make um, a lot of sense in terms of when we look at um, new roads, they don't actually stop traffic. They just add traffic and um, taking traffic out of Galway actually is uh, detrimental to business, um, etc. as opposed to looking at ways of making it a more walkable city, adding cycle tracks, um, et cetera, et cetera. So um, the Build More Roads Brigade seems to be uh, winning there. Um, another another great progressive move by on board Planola. <laughs> How are they still... like? I can't get my head around 12 of them making decisions for our lives. Now, let's talk the licensing revolution. Okay, so here's the buzz. Ireland's licensing laws, as we know, are out of date and are restrictive and they've loads of barriers for people who want to open a new place and they're complex in terms of applying for them. But all of that is changing because after years of advocacy and complaining, uh, the government is finally getting around to modernising licensing laws and crucially they're asking for the public's uh, point of view and the industry's point of view. Um, You may have heard about this earlier in the year when Helen McEntee was talking about, um, you know, modernising the licensing laws and loads of people were like, but the pubs are closed, what are you talking about? And she was just like, okay, don't listen then. But now it is happening So there's kind of two things happening at the same time in this whole licensing discourse. And we're going to get into um, one of them with with our guests. But basically, there's the the nighttime economy and culture conversation, you know, and that kind of covers everything from access to space to loss of venues and clubbing as culture. Andrea, you fly in that flag all the time. Um, And the nighttime economy is something that needs to be acknowledged and supported, blah, blah, blah. And of course, now revitalized in the pandemic era. And that's what the task force was established. You know, the nighttime economy task force Mm -hmm. was set up to examine that. And they made loads of recommendations, which include. Later opening hours for cultural institutions. Bring more buildings into use at night by connecting promoters and artists to existing spaces. A bit of meanwhile use. Uh, late night pilot for Culture Night, late nighttime pilots at cultural institutions, an audit of arts and culture facilities and creation of a data, database, uh, support local authorities in being better at facilitating nighttime culture, noise management, um, agents change, taking existing cultural spaces into account regarding new developments, nighttime economy advisors for pilot projects in cities, guidance for outdoor seating, support development of more on-street dining zones, nighttime public transport recommendations, recommendations around safety at night, and reform licensing. Right. So the, the these things overlap. So the um, reforming of licensing laws is is kind of a related but also separate conversation. So outdated alcohol licensing legislation was identified as a challenge by the Nighttime Economy Task Force. And obviously there's been loads of discussion about this around opening hours and all that kind of stuff for years. And the programme for government 
states an intention around modernizing our licensing laws and the application processes. So what that entails is that the government is preparing um, a new bill called the Sale of Alcohol Bill. And that bill is basically going to consolidate all of our licensing stuff. So that means that the licensing acts will be repealed and the Public Dance Hall Act of 1936, unfortunately <laughs> not the kind of dance hall that we like from the islands, um, something else, and the registration of club acts. So as you can see, there's quite like disparate, out, like really out of date stuff. And then they're going to be replaced with one act and a streamlined licensing process. So the things up for grabs are opening hours, trading hours, regulating online and delivery sales of alcohol, outdoor dining uh, with regards to alcohol sales. You may remember the whole uh, hoo-ha with the guard going, I know everybody's drinking on the paths, but that's illegal. Um, <laughs> licensing systems. And it actually worked. And it worked. <laughs> Grant. Licensing systems and licensing categories. Okay. We'll get into the consultation part in a little bit and how you can get involved in shaping Ireland's new licensing laws. Ooh, power. Uh, but first, we're going to talk to someone on the front line of all of this, Colin Perkins, who's the head booker at Pygmalion in Dublin and also a DJ. Thanks, Emil, for joining us, Colin. Happy to be here. Now, what does the next month or so lo- look like for you in terms of the club, in terms of your job? I suppose we've been told that the 9th of January is our date for reopening, but realistically, we're looking more towards March, you know. So uh, Pig will remain open as a bar and restaurant until then. We'll have DJs playing every night in a fully seated venue. And uh, I suppose that's about as much fun as it's going to be. Why March? Why March? I think that will kind of surprise a lot of people. I suppose that's when we expect the booster rollout to hit um, the targets necessary, I suppose. Mm. And what they have announced that thirty to forty nines are going to start getting boosters next week. Have they? Yeah. Mm. So I'll be able I to get. <laughs> <laughs> um, what supports are in place then, and at the moment, and and are they working for you? Like, are they sufficient? Because we hear a lot about like, obviously the the devastation and the repeated. Uh, whiplash of, of this kind of stuff and then the government goes oh no but we have these supports and, and they'll work yeah yesterday Catherine Martin announced a range of supports for the industries which have been closed um, so it's a return of the LPSS but the details of the uh, cost that will be covered haven't been announced yet so uh, hopefully we're supported by the scheme this time around mm. what if the pa- oh. no go on Andre what if the past 21 months been like for you personally in terms of like having to constantly rearrange, rebook and troubleshooting, et cetera. Like how have you coped? It's been extremely frustrating, particularly during the, the summer just gone, you know, because we were at a level where we should have been reopening all the comparable countries with vaccination rates and a similar population size were opening up properly, whereas we were just sitting our hands and then uh, you know, it's we had three weeks, three, four weeks at the end of October to properly operate then dealing with agents and artists have been it's been frustrating but they've been very accommodating and we've been able to find new dates for 90 percent of the events we've had to cancel um with i suppose like it's so weird then that that at this point where so much stuff is kind of shut down and not able to operate 
that there is this conversation about licensing laws and how the review kind of is a rare opportunity for people to to input. What do you think are the key obstacles or the bad laws um, in the current licensing situation that that block things being deadly, basically? Yeah, I suppose let's start with the repeal of the Dancehall Act, which has been in place since 1935. Then that'll hopefully be replaced by a nightclub license to their venues and event producing more flexibility with regard to operating hours and that's done, the sort of spaces they can use for music and club events. And then hopefully we can really develop a proper nighttime economy like every other major European city. And so what would, it, what would the difference between a nightclub license be and the current system? It would, it would separate. So they would, you wouldn't have to have a special exemption order each night because mm. each bar opens till half 12 on a Friday and Saturday. There'll be a separate license and there'll be proposes to be more staggered closing hours. It won't always be 6am, obviously, because that's just not sustainable in this country. But you'll have the flexibility to uh, to apply for it, you know, mm. apply for four, five, six. Why do you think it's not sustainable in this country, Colin? I think people, it'll take a while for people's drinking habits and things like that to change, you know. it'll it, You need to have people going out later. And in this country, it's you go out and people race to to be there for two or three hours. It'll take a while for that culture to change. And then I suppose you'll have more people coming over, more tourism for the nighttime economy as well. And they'll be coming from different backgrounds and that, that'll help broaden mm-hmm. it, you know? If you had a dream list of new licensing laws, leaving aside what may already be in the offing, what would that be? I think it would be great if the state would support uh, additional soundproofing for existing and new venues. Mm. So you can live, coexist with what's currently in, uh, in the city centre and it, it would, I suppose, prolong the uh, viability of spaces that uh, make a lot of noise, you know? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's something that they've been kind of doing or trying to do in the UK, that if you are opening up next to a, a an existing bar or club, that it's up to you to soundproof your building, not complain about the sound coming from the other building and, and instructing them to kind of engage in this really constant yeah, it process. Can, it, it, it can be done retroactively. Of course, it is expensive, but, um, you know, it's if you're treating these venues with the respect they should have, that's that's not an issue, you know? Um, as someone who has a club not, who like does the booking for pig, right? So you have your venue. Do you think that there would be kickback against making it easier to get licenses for temporary cultural events, exhibitions, etc., or one-off club nights? Um, and how do you think that can coexist in um, in the new licensing laws? Do you think that that there's room for spec like that? Yeah, I think there should be an introduction of a temporary events license. You know, for, uh, that, that maybe the group of nightmares or whatever it is in, char- in charge of it will oversee that, you know, and um, you could use vacant spaces for pop-up events and bring a buzz back to the city centre. And obviously that should be done at a nominal cost because the cost of doing applying for an outdoor events licence is like two and a half grand per application. So, you know, these things are prohibited by the cost of applying for them, you know. So even the fact that like you have a venue or whatever, you'd be up for that if pe- if more people. Of course, could do- it's it, what the more people, the more things happening, the better everyone is, you know. Yeah. If, if there's if there's only one show in town, that's not good. There's no no people around. There's no buzz. Mm. Um, 
one of the things as well is like the thing that they're talking about hopefully changing is this thing of like in order to get a license you have to get rid of another one um what do you think that that does to the kind of the the barrier for entry for for different people to start their own venue or their own bar like especially younger people um sorry repeat that question you know the way that in order to get a license that there has to be another one extinguished or whatever like oh, so, but, 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 do I buy license or just yeah you have to pay for them yeah so like what do you think that that has done to kind of the barrier for entry I suppose I guess a lot of people are frustrated that you know if you have good ideas and a bit of get up and go but may not have like massive familial wealth for example that it's very yeah, hard it's still, to... yeah it's it's extremely difficult I can't see um how that can continue, you know, if, if you want to be serious about creating a nighttime economy, because it just, you leave it up to a handful of people to do all of it, you know, mm. it needs to, and I suppose cultural and art spaces need to be looked at more favorably by um, planning authorities as well. Maybe when, if there's a new development proposed, I'm not saying necessarily a nightclub, but maybe an art, art or gallery space or a theater, you know, these things need to be uh, considered a bit more by uh, planning authorities when these new areas are being put together, you know? Mm. A lot of the time we have a propensity to be like, oh, Ireland's so shit for clubbing and we have to do this and we have to do that. But I know I've had an absolute ball in Ireland and mm-hmm. uh, we find ways around things and blah, 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 blah. But how do you think um, Dublin compares to other cities? Like, do you think we're really at a disadvantage if you compare it to other places or is that just really our own perception? I suppose there's a lot of great club and festival producers on the island and given a little more freedom they will grow and thrive at the moment um, it's a difficult place obviously but things will get better if, if these steps are taken and things are made a little bit more easier mm. so there is hope so, for people who are like yeah I mean like there's there's not there's just a multitude of stuff going on next door in the UK, you know, and just it seems like everything is terrible here, but we have a lot of great events here as well. Mm. How much are, like looking to next year and the year afterwards, like how much of a financial hit are clubs and venues taking in Ireland right now? And what does it look like or feel like about getting back on track in the next 12 months? I mean, without without the significant supports of the LPSS and more that, than that, there will be more venues and clubs closed next year, unfortunately. There's just no doubt about that. There's, I think there's less than 200 clubs left in the country and uh, that's, that's going to continue to drop unless there's this open and close model just can't continue, you know? Mm. You need to have a proper run on it and to have been closed in December is a real kick, you know? Yeah. We're not going we're not going to end on a bad note because no. <laughs> we are hopeful of the future. Um and it is fair to say that since Catherine Martin uh, became minister, that the Nighttime Economy Task Force ran, that there has um at least um been an acknowledgement of the importance of electronic music and clubbing as culture. Um and that I think it will, but do you believe it will translate to meaningful changes um, in the future? Yeah, so far very little has happened, but yeah, it's great that they've shed light on it with the Nighttime Economy Task Force and uh, obviously shout out to Sunil and give us an eye for making everything um, in the public domain, really, you know. Mm-hmm. 
the SEO being abolished was was the step forward as well, which is the cost of staying open late for night, which was 410 euro. I think that's initially for six months, but let's see if anything meaningful happens next year now. Well, you, what do you, like if we manage to get like this licensing reform over the line and obviously the public consultation is happening with it and if, you know, fingers crossed, like boosters are going 90 next year and things feel like a vibe, do you think that, there, even though it just seems like absolutely the opposite of what is happening right now. Do you think with those things combined with the enthusiasm for going out with licensing law reform and with, you know, I suppose the, the public safety, I guess, around uh, the, the pandemic, you know, getting more used to it, being better at it. Like, could we actually just end up accidentally having an amazing vibe in the country, even though it just I mean, seems like I mean, when when we came back, we came back stronger than ever. I mean, and the hunger for events, we were able to Saturday nights, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, everything. So if we get our act together in other regards, I think it could be very good, you know? Mm. Just, you know, it's taking it's take, it's a while. That's that's all. And I think it might be a bit too late for some people, but yeah, it's um, there's reason to be hopeful. Mm. Well, Colin, keep doing your thing. Um, I know it's been really, really difficult um, in in your industry more than more than any others. So, uh, sending you loads of good vibes, and you too, uh, guys. we'll be back there soon. Talk soon. So now to the consultation. After all of that chat. Um, what do you think about this consultation process, Andrea? Do you think everybody should get involved? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that if you have spent time giving out about our, our clubbing facilities in terms of timings, if you are frustrated, you have to take part. And if you don't, you you can never give out about it again if you're not part of the solution. Because if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem, man. You're either with us or against us. <laughs> but the consultation, um, which we'll link to in the show notes and also on our social media and stuff, it, it takes the form of a survey. And in some ways, the questions that they're asking are very specific with regards to the criteria of the things they're trying to address. But in other ways, because it's not like multiple choice or whatever, there's actually quite a lot of scope to contribute your points of view. So think about what you actually want before you do the survey. And um, these are these are the things that it's asking. So here, here like it's basically like go, going through the various things that they're trying to address, but there is scope within them to kind of be creative about it. So asking for views on the existing licensing system. So obviously a lot of people feel that it's draconian, out of date, restrictive, um, doesn't allow for, you know, a diverse range of cultural offerings at night, etc. So those are all the things that you can put into that bit. I'd ask whether or not, whether all licensing should be dealt with in the district court. Um, you know, there are arguments for getting licensing out of the courts and creating a new application process that doesn't involve like all of the time spent down the courts, basically. Is that like where you have to go down and get a, like a license? Your extension. Yeah. Every week. Yes, pretty much, pretty much. But it's kind of like a rolling process. You got it for a, a period, a longer period of time. Um, 
so then they're kind of asking how the license, like a lot of the how the application yeah. process or the licensing process may not be relevant to people who aren't, you know, in 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 the industry itself, be that in club or whatever. But um, they're asking how the licensing process could be improved. So, you know, ideas around that, less restrictive and no more taking over existing licenses in order to grant a new one. Um, so that's, we'll, we'll get into that in a second. They're asking what categories of licenses you would like to see. So ideas for that could be like, you know, outdoor licenses, easy temporary licenses, you know, so that it's, if you want to run a kind of a, a cultural event for a shorter period of time that you'd be able to access a license that way. They're asking how could alcohol licenses improve cultural offerings? So an idea for that, I'm just kind of saying the stuff that I'm going to be writing the survey basically is to make it easier to apply for a license for a cultural activity in a non-licensed venue. So let's say, for example, if you have a record shop or a gallery or something like that, and you want to do some events during an exhibition or over the course of like have a little like mini festival for yourself to be able to apply for a license for a, a venue that is technically quote unquote non-licensed. Do you know what I mean? Um, they're asking about like what the public health approach should be with regards to informing license reform. Um, one aspect of that would be staggered closing times, um, you know, in order for, uh, that's a public safety issue, I guess, and a street safety issue. There oh, will last, Oh my God. Last Saturday night at 12 o'clock, the streets came alive. It was absolutely insane. Um, I came out of mother and it was literally just loads of people packed on the streets. It's so bananas. Yeah. It's just such a, I mean, obviously they don't think things through in government <clears throat> with regards to how they've been handling nighttime stuff, but that's just absolutely ridiculous. So there will be like loads and loads of submissions. I would imagine from people who work in public health around alcohol consumption generally and there is, there tends to be resistance to quote unquote liberal liberalizing licensing laws from people who work in areas where they view alcohol as a massive public health problem, which it is uh, to some degree. But I think what we need to impress upon this kind of discourse, I suppose, is that liberalizing, well, I don't know if you even want to frame it as that, but like making licensing more giving it more scope in terms of time like that addresses binge drinking in many ways do you know what I mean like this idea of people like just going in 11 o'clock and, and just shoving as many drinks down their throats as possible until like two o'clock or 2 30 or whatever you know that that is not good for anyone and actually having more open um licensing laws kind of allows a different kind of rhythm uh it you know, socially, I think, anyway. I think as well, when you are in places that have a more liberal approach to uh, licensing and nighttime economy, like even when you go to the UK, you can buy booze in corner shops all the time. Mm. And it takes the pressure of like having to get into the, the shop by 10 p.m. to have your drink ready. So then you're kind of buying more than you need a lot of the time, just in case, rather than what you need. And then you end up drinking it. So like yeah. there's it just is a really ch like childish way of treating people as opposed to educating and giving people the, the power to decide what's right for them. And at the moment we don't have that power. So we're forced into drinking more. Yeah. And I guess one of the, um, one of the issues like in licensing laws all the time has been like, uh, 
there's too many vested interests competing for their own patch, I guess. So it's like pubs won't, like certain publicans won't want um, later licensing because they'll perceive that that'll cut into their business. Or like certain like publicans won't want off licenses to be open later because they want to be able to like, you know, compete, I suppose. But the fact is like, and this is obviously a massive issue in Ireland, Things shouldn't be about which vested interest has the best lobbying or which has gets the most sympathetic ear from government. Like obviously publicans have been one of those groups for years and years and years. It should be about what is good for society, what people actually want, what will make things better for everyone. Here's the thing you are with this crazy (laughs) idea of suiting society in my joke. Uh, yeah, but anyway, so anyway, I, we, um, uh, let's get back on track with this and not my, like, soapbox. Um, special exemptions. So special exam- exemptions, yeah. So basically, it used to be that special exemption licenses were for, like, special occasions, but that ended up having to be used for every late night opening. So they expire at 2.30 a.m. and they cost 410 euros. So that's your, like, late license. So they're asking for thoughts on this system. You know, obviously it's out of date, it's restrictive. People shouldn't have to constantly be applying for these things. And the cutoff time is just out of date. So those are things you could submit for that. And then they're asking about people's thoughts on licensing hours. So current licensing hours, and actually when you look at them, it's just like, oh my God, this is they're just so bad. Monday to Thursday, 10.30 a.m. to 11.30 p.m. Friday and Saturday is 12.30 a.m. to 12.30 well you know half after midnight and Sunday is 12 30 p.m to 11 p.m so obviously that now that's without the late exam without special exemption so that's not clubs or whatever obviously those should be liberalized and if people want to run their business uh, whenever they want to you know they should be able to do that I mean I think that's pretty uh pretty basic um then they're asking for thoughts on limits placed on issuing licenses so this is the mad like thing about Irish licensing is that in order to get a license to um, to be issued to you, like if you want to open a pub or an off license or something, an existing license has to be extinguished for a new one to be issued. So licenses are this like finite resource. And in order for you to get one, one has to go. And this is why you often see this trend of like, especially during the Celtic Tiger, actually, where people want to open a new pub in Dublin but they'd buy a you know an old boozer that had been closed for ages somewhere else, and then they'd transfer the license. Um, and obviously the old boozer would never open again, and they would have a, have its license. So all of that jimmying around the place, these really archaic systems, that just needs to go. This is also kind of a regulation argument because I would imagine that a lot of pubs maybe might be spooked about new entrants to the market without barriers. Um, so it's just like, it's kind of like, do you remember the taxi deregulation where taxi plates yeah. were like super, super expensive. And then they're like, actually we're making them really cheap. And everybody had spent all this money on their taxi plate was like, Oh my God. And now there's like massive competition and blah, blah, blah. So it's like, there's, there's, I suppose there's kind of rights to be balanced um, in, in this and access to be balanced. But the fact is, the barriers to entry to start a bar or an off-flight, like a wine bar, a little beer hall or a little club or whatever are so huge. And one of the reasons 
that um, Dublin in particular has experienced this very kind of corporate hospitality culture is because the barriers of entry are only like people, the only people able to get over them are people who are like really rich or like have this a massive uh, hospitality company or have inv- like lots of investors behind them. So we do, you know, if we want a diverse nightlife, we do need to open up um, the the ability to get licenses uh, and, you know, and have healthy competition, have loads of people be able to do their bits, even if they don't have like billionaire parents or whatever. So like, it is a regulation argument, but it's also a competition argument and it's also a diversity of business argument. So anyway, then they're asking for thoughts on online delivery uh, or online sales and delivery sales. Should there be a license for this? One doesn't exist, believe it or not, but you can still order booze and everything on deliver, de- Deliveroo and uh, Just Eat and stuff if the premises is licensed. And then they're kind of asking for additional comments. You can go wild there. So that's the consultation. Have a think and just pick, like, make up your dream utopian licensing vibe and get it in there. And if there's like thousands and thousands of submissions, they'll have to take them on board. Look at, I know it's totally different, but look what happened with the cobblestone when there was over 700 submissions to the planning process. They had to listen to to the people. It's really hard to, it's easy to get crap through when you're just like, well, nobody told us otherwise. But if everybody's saying the same thing, then they're like, oh, right, shit, we better do this. So that's that. And now it's time for Get in the Sea. I like this one, Andrea. Now tell me. (laughs) Oh, my God, it's so bananas. So firstly, overall, NFTs. I'm not into them. I think they're absolutely bananas and I hate that they're actually getting uh, much bigger. What is an NFT? An NFT allows you to buy and sell ownership of a unique digital item uh, and keep track of who owns them using the blockchain. So it stands for a non-fungible token um, and it can technically contain anything digital, including drawings, animated GIFs, songs or items in video games. So, you know, like in the past, if you right clicked a picture on the Internet and downloaded it, that was a, that's essentially um, yours now on your computer. But with an NFT, you know that you're the only one who owns it and you can see who else owns it. And it's your art and, you, and blah, 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 blah. It's like bollocks really, isn't it? I roll. It's like, how can you actually sell this? And somebody on the internet the other day was like, NFTs are like the new Scientology. And I was like, oh my God, it fucking is. People are like, yeah, I've got this NFT. And there, there's actually an NFT exhibition in Ireland at the moment, I guess. Um, but then uh, I just want to read this tweet by regular Mallory, who's like, I've got this idea. Hear me out. IRL NFTs. You pay me and I'll draw you something. <laughs> then you own the actual drawing. Not some imaginary number on a computer somewhere, a real drawing. This could be the future of art. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like, I mean, I just ignore NFT. There's also like loads of issues around um, how environmentally unfriendly they are because obviously mining Bitcoin and blockchain and all that kind of stuff requires massive amount of server power and blah, blah, blah. But then you have a special number that says you own something. I just don't want to hear things I don't, my top two things that I don't want to hear about anymore this year, NFTs and like, can people just stop fucking talking about cryptocurrency? 
you all sound like idiots. And I'm just like dread the time where it's like, um, you know, you're at a sesh or something and someone starts talking to you about like their crypto investments. It's like, oh my God. I'd never be out of sesh with that. However, <laughs> someone I know uh, did fly all their pals, 20 of their pals to Ibiza on a private jet to a big house to party with money that they'd made from crypto. Mm, yeah okay well I can I can get down with that for sure it does just feel like you know something's a really positive economic trend when everybody keeps like making up these get rich quick schemes around it that are just like cash for gold oh god I don't know I think it's like going to be part of whatever crash happens for sure hopefully there's a new uh, cryptocurrency called unvaxxed sperm (laughs) And it's for, uh, they're not anti-vax, they say, but it's to ensure the continue, continue, I can't pronounce that, continuity of objective scientific inquiry and the freedom of discourse. So basically, then someone was like, actually, we are anti-vax. This is an article on Vice. Um, so what they're basically trying to do is um, they think that sperm that has been unvaxxed is going to be really valuable and is going to be the new tradable thing so that you'll be able to actually just like (laughs) can we just have a moratorium on blokes in economics like is that possible can we just do a thing where just we're like let's just try a decade where the only people running financial systems are like non-binary people trans people women and maybe some like children or something and just for a second like everybody else sits down is that is that discriminatory? That's vastly need, discriminatory, obviously. I get, but like, I get, to, I get to move on from that comment. <laughs> I'll just read out what they are promising. The developers behind Unvax Sperm say their plan is to use the m- memeable nature of their coin to make it go viral and draw Ugh. people into their anti-vaccine community, oh promising big plans that include a pure blood version of Tinder, hygienically oh frozen unvaccinated sperm and something called project super sperm oh jesus <laughs> actually so, no i just fucking can't can we please I'm move gonna, on that's getting in the sea that is absolutely getting in the sea okay now it's time for it's bananas so this is i think like i'm fascinated um china changed the weather for a political event so basically, <laughs> there was rain forecast and they didn't want there to be clouds or rain for their big ceremony. So they used this cloud seeding technology, um, which is a long studied controversial process that involves shooting silver iodide particles into the clouds with the idea of attracting water droplets to modify the weather. Mm. Like This used to be called cloud bursting, didn't it? <laughs> so bananas but they uh yeah it's it's like obviously there's a lot of uh problems associated with that because there's no um they they kind of dabbled in it in the months leading up to the 2008 Beijing Olympics but it there's no research done on them what the weather systems effect will have based on if you're like changing the weather yeah it's like, remember in The Simpsons when they wanted to block out the sun and they put the dome over Springfield? Yes. That's exactly what it's like. That's exactly, exactly. what it's like. I don't think it's bananas. Like, I think, like, what is wrong with us that we just 
can't leave things alone. Can we just we just actually we as a as a as a species, we cannot <laughs> leave things alone. We just can't leave like <laughs> Can we go back to the point of living is to just be, it's not to literally change weather systems and to like create uh, perisperm. Yeah, 100%. Okay, now it's time for our fave bits. My fave bits, Una, are today H&M launched their innovation circular design story and I am really interested in this because what they've done is that as as opposed to just kind of talking shit they've developed fabrics that are actually environmentally friendly and like people like Richard Malone has been pioneering this and really leading his collections with this but the problem with uh, when you think about sustainability and fabrics and the designs that are done they're usually quite hempy and like a bit of like white cotton and not very design led. But what's happening with this collection is it's very on trend, loads of polka dots, right up my strata, big bows, whatever. And it just is, I suppose, pushing the boundaries in fast fashion, actually adapting a sustainability model that is um, trend, trendy and fashionable, but also size inclusive, which is something H&M have been um, in trouble a lot, but it, the sizes go up to I think 24, um, which is a big jump. So I think it is a lot. Uh, I'm, I'm impressed with that. Also impressed today is, and just like that day, I'm absolutely buzzing off my tits. I can't wait to watch that later on tonight. Um, another fave bit is Malahide Castle have a light show. And in the light show, there's a big focus on disco balls. To say I was absolutely in my element watching these um, installations of disco ball. There's something so magical about a disco ball light. It's just this... Oh, I've talked about it enough, but I would highly recommend Malahide Castle. Um, it's a very immersive, beautiful moment. Uh, Luna is back open. We talked about that a little bit last week. Went to it. It was nice. Um, Merch at Christmas, um, which is an artist music market at the Grand Social on the 18th and 19th of December, selling merch from loads and loads of bands, um, Irish bands who have had to cancel their gigs, have no income, buy their merch, go to the music market, um, meet your meet your uh, heroes. They'll be there selling their merch. So you can, I'd say it'll be such a lovely day to hang out there as well. And finally, uh, my fave bit on Solstice, Aideen Barry is an artist who's created a, a really vast piece of work called Oblivion Shocked Maltocked. Um, and it is merging um, so many things like f- there's a there's a swap over of Inuit throat singing with um, Irish singing. There is uh, visual pieces. There's hats made from eels. Um, there are nails by Tropical Popcorn. There are like it just I go onto her website. It's just one of the most like expansive pieces of work I've seen in ages. And it is all about bringing back the harp um, and work that was done on the harp to keep make sure that it um, didn't um, expire. And just looking at how important that is to our heritage and culture. Bob, I have two very quick five bits. Get back the Beatles documentary. Don't give a crap about the Beatles, to be honest. Um, but I'm really, really enjoying uh, this doc, it's a good, just, you know, interesting hangout in the creative process. Uh, and also the Magnet, the new bar on Thomas Street, corner of Bridgeford Street and Thomas Street in Dublin. Very nice. 
just, you know, does what it says on the tin. Very nice new local bar. Now it's time for Book of the Week. Book of the Week. Okay, my book of the week is one that's coming out next May. Uh, it is new one by Louise O'Neill. It's called Idol. Uh, it's about an influencer who perhaps shouldn't have so much influence. And I think it is going to be uh, very, very, it's going to generate definitely a very, very big buzz. Obviously, uh, Louise is deadly. So keep an eye out for that one. Idol. Uh, and... That's it. This podcast is produced by Andrew Mangan of Castaway Media. Crystal Clear gave us a tune chicken roll for our soundtracks. Air Fox did all our design. This week's tune and chicken roll is um, in honor of us not getting to go to Roisin Murphy on New Year's Eve, which is going to be the gig of the year. I've decided that Roisin Murphy is going to be our tune and chicken roll this week. We love you, Roisin. We love you, mother. Can't wait to see you at IRL. It's Murphy's Law. I've been in Mulally. I've been Andrea Horan. This has been United Ireland. And that was, is a licensing revolution on the cards? Hopefully. I feel my story is still untold. But I'll make my own happy ending. I guess I'd rather be alone. Than make it do amending I think maybe I've outgrown this old town I see you almost every day And every time I turn around Our love is stuck on replay